This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111. Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. On June 11, the rules surrounding net neutrality officially came off the books. The rules were designed to make the use of the Internet a level playing field and not give an advantage to any group or business sector. But the goal of the current FCC administration apparently is to do away with what they consider to be, quote, unnecessary heavy-handed regulations, end quote, and put in place rules that promote investment and expand Internet access. Yet there are many who are concerned that these changes will, just to a degree, make it a Wild West scenario where businesses can benefit greatly from the changes. We delve into this further with Kevin Warbach, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. He was also a counsel for new technology policy at the FCC during the Clinton administration. He joins us on the phone, as does Pinar Yildirim, who is an Assistant Professor of Marketing here at the Wharton School. Great to have you both with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Pinar. Thanks, Dan. Nice for joining. Thank you very much. Kevin, uh, you have been on top of this for, for quite a long period of time. Uh, and uh, give us your thoughts as, as we are now heading into this, this new era of, of Internet access. That's an important point that you just made, which is that this has been going on for a very long time. I've been at the Wharton School 14 years. The issues of net neutrality go back to before I joined the faculty. So we've been fighting about this for a substantial amount of time. The FCC has gone through multiple cycles under many different administrations now, attempting to put in place these rules, putting in place these rules, and now with the new FCC under the Trump administration, removing the rules that they've already put into place. So it's important to understand that even though that repeal has now gone into effect and the rules that the FCC adopted are no longer in effect, that doesn't mean this is the end. This is just another step on this ongoing journey. But what were the conversations like when you were spending your time working at the FCC? Well, this is an issue, again, that that, uh, has been around for a long time and touches on the fundamental question about the nature of the broadband access market, that broadband uh, and Internet access are the foundation for the entire digital economy. And everyone agrees that uh, those markets need to be open to innovation. And the debate is whether essentially just allowing market competition such as it is will facilitate a free and open market where there is uh, opportunity for creativity and new startups to be formed in all the markets on top of the broadband platform, or whether the FCC needs to be there as a kind of cop on the beat to deal with anti-competitive procedures and practices by the broadband access providers. And so this is, again, it's been a long-standing debate, but what we've seen time and time again is uh, concerns and indications that if there isn't some set of rules and some mechanism to assess and deal with anti-competitive conduct, Mm -hmm. then companies are going to take advantage of their gatekeeper role in uh, the, the broadband world in ways that are harmful for competition and harmful for consumers. Well, Pinar, uh, Ajit Pai uh, did a couple of interviews yesterday, and he stated in one of them that he believes that the rollback of these rules are going to lead to that better Internet for consumers. Do you agree? 
Um, not completely. I think his arguments were two things. He first mentioned that the broadband, broadband investment over the years have been quite low, and he was hoping that this would change. And the second thing he brings up very commonly is this mom and pop ISPs um, that could potentially rid of all of the, the regulatory costs that they have to apply right now, they right. have to pay right now. So um, in reality, though, in, at least when we look at the implementation of some of these costs, for um, ISPs that had uh, that served less than 100,000 consumers, some of these regulations are already relieved um, when the time the Open Internet in- Initiative was, was passed. So it's not exactly clear whether these costs were really a burden on these ISPs. Um, so it might help, of course, to get rid of them. But at the same time, we are going to create such incentives for the broad, uh, larger ISPs, and they yeah. might gain a lot more that put, again, these smaller ISPs at a much bigger disadvantage, as well as consumers and some of the other websites. Well, one of the other things he, he also mentioned, and speaking about that investment, Pinar, he was talking about the investment in, in rural locations to be able to improve the Internet in, in spots where you know people have maybe not the greatest uh, service to begin with or have no service uh, whatsoever. I, I, and I guess it's an important topic that needs to be discussed because in this day and age, uh, I think we all agree that the, the Internet is a, is a key component just to, to be able to, to reach out and connect with people or to be able to buy things online or to be able to do work if you're uh, if you're working from home. So that that is an important area. I guess the question is is will we have that level of investment to be able to alleviate those problems in rural areas? Absolutely. And this is an interesting and important I think common ground for both the proponents as well as the opponents of net neutrality. Everybody is concerned about the access to Internet for the rural areas in the United States. And the funny thing is, if you look at the the chairman of FCC, he seems to suggest that, yes, this new repeal of net neutrality is going to help access because it's going to help these mom-and-pop shops to get rid of, reduce some of their costs and allocate those budget, those funds, to broadband investment. But if you look at how market forces should really work, if you open up the doors to basically creating uh, pay-for-play rules, prioritization, fast lanes, that's unlikely to favor small websites, small companies, and small ISPs. So at least from my perspective, it's very hard to, to expect that there will be larger broadband, broadband investment in the, in the rural areas of America. Kevin? Well, there's this notion that you, you do keep hearing, and, and Ajit Pai has, has been beating this drum for a long time, that the only thing that is stopping broadband companies from investing much more than they have and innovating much more than they have is that they're worried that if they engage in anti-competitive discrimination, that uh, that will be stopped. Um, and that, that just doesn't make any sense. And, and, and the way that you know it doesn't make any sense is you listen to the companies themselves. So right. there, there is a debate about certain practices, about zero rating practices where uh, services don't count against the data cap and some of these paid prioritization practices. There are some things where there's a debate. The basic idea of having net neutrality rules, of having, uh, the, of having companies not be able to deliberately block websites and deliberately discriminate AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, all of those companies have said repeatedly, 
we're not going to do that. We're fine with rules that prohibit us from doing that. That's not right. our business. Our, our business model is not based on blocking. And in fact, when the net neutrality rules went into place under President Obama, all the Wall Street analysts said, oh, you guys, uh, you broadband companies, you were warning us that this is going to be terrible. Are your numbers going to go down? Is your profit, profitability going to go down? They said, oh, no, no, no. All of them said this has no material effect on our business, the fact that we have these rules. So to then come back and make the argument now that it's only these rules that are standing in the way of this, this great level of investment is just not reality. There, there are important and significant discussions to have about exactly what is the boundary between legitimate business models and practices on the one hand and unreasonable discrimination on the other hand. But the way to do that is, is to have a set of rules and define where they are, as opposed to doing what the FCC is doing, which is just saying, we don't want to have any rules at all, and we'll just uh, just go out of business of the process of even looking at this. Joined by Kevin Warbach and uh, Pinar Yildirim of the uh, Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Kevin, you mentioned the the comments of, of some of the ISPs, and it was interesting for many of them to come back and say, you know, no, we're okay. You know, you can – these rules do not – impact us very much at all it, it's not what you would consider to be the norm in business of of trying to build that profit up i i guess the question is my my uh relating it to kind of a wild west scenario is there a possibility that we may see that uh with a lot of these uh, companies starting to charge more and more for their services or segmenting it a little bit like charging x amount for facebook espn and something else in comparison to you know to other websites so i would take issue with your assessment that it's not consistent with the norms of business okay uh, business people, for the most part, uh, when they run their businesses, are not ideological. Um, they, they may have ideological views, but they're uh-huh. going to look at the numbers. They're going to listen to what their um, subordinates tell them. They're going to look at the market dynamics, and they're going to make the best long-term decision for their business. And I think what you're hearing is a divergence between the, the ideology and the view that regulation must be bad because it's regulation, and we can lump all regulation together and the realities of business, which is these are companies, especially these, these large dominant players. Uh, you know, I, I certainly agree there's a huge issue with rural broadband, but, but it really has nothing to do with this conversation we're having about net neutrality. The, the, the big dominant players, of which there are very few because of all the mergers that have happened, understand they live in a regulated environment. Um, they, in many ways, benefit from the regulation because it, it does, you know, including some of the ways that PNR was describing, help them vis-a-vis competitors. Um, but they uh, understand also that uh, you know, customers, consumers don't like the prices they're paying. They, they don't like the customer service they're getting. So they think holistically in terms of what's in the best long-term interest of their business. And having some regulation uh, isn't always something that's going to be against their interest. So that's the first point. The second point is part of what you alluded to, this idea that prices are going to skyrocket and so forth, there is this misunderstanding that net neutrality is this kind of catch-all provision that prevents broadband companies from doing bad things. It's not. There's nothing in net neutrality that says anything about prices at all. Right. Uh, what it has to do with is certain kinds of discriminatory practices about the treatment of data. And um, so ultimately, uh, prices may go up. 
but um, this is really about, again, at the margin, these new kind of paid prioritization schemes and zero rating schemes and so forth, whether those are going to go into place. And, and I think in time, we'll see more of that if these rules don't get reinstated. It's important also to understand that you know, something doesn't change overnight. There's still pending litigation. There's pending action in Congress. There could be a new FCC that comes in under a new administration. So we haven't heard the last of this. Pinar? I agree. I agree with all of these statements. And on top of that, of course, states are taking their own actions, like Washington and Oregon, which also try to place rules closer to um, the net neutrality. So I agree that this is going to be a very slow play over time. We are not going to see changes overnight. What what the concerns are are exactly around the three things. Of course, one is blocking of or censorship of content, throttling, slowing down of data transmission, and prioritization, the, the fast lanes that are created, which could favor some of the larger websites. I think it's less likely to see blocking or censorship of content, but some forms of throttling or prioritization might happen down the road. We know in not just um, parts of the world where internet or broadband investment is quite low. We know also in countries like Portugal, where net neutrality doesn't exist, there are some alternate ways that consumers access internet, which has to do with bundling or subsidized services. The same thing if you go to Asia, you will find that, for example, you can buy a package to access Facebook on your mobile phone. So some of these alternate ways of accessing the websites that consumers really would like to to access or regularly access or may want better um, service, better data transmission, might become available, I think, in the long term in the United States. But this is not something that we'll see overnight. And as Kevin emphasized, this is not the last that we hear. <laughs> there are still several steps for the full repeal of net neutrality, if that happens. And then I think there's a lot more discussion that will follow uh, with regards to the practices of the companies. But how much more do, does it put on the shoulders of the consumer to understand what is going on right now and you know their, their role in this whole process about how they could be or may not be impacted by some of these changes, Binar? So I think there are going to be two sets of changes that will follow. One is the type of change that is going to be on the company. So uh, companies like Amazon, Netflix, others which use a lot of the bandwidth of broadband, they might have to subsidize some of the services or they might be willing to pay the ISPs in order to provide better quality, faster access uh, services. So those companies will be affected. But then the question is, will they pass on some of these costs to the consumer? And it's quite likely that they might pass some of these costs to the consumer. The second more direct effect is ISPs providing different options of access, different uh, maybe slowdown rules or uh, faster access to directly to consumers. And that's, again, a different way of charging the consumers, affecting the consumers through repeal of net neutrality. So... These are the two ways that I can see that the consumers will be affected. Of course, as someone who's a marketing professor, we understand that this is a form of segmentation and this is a form of providing services that a consumer wants to pay for and wants to have access to. So ultimately, you know, we could also argue that there is something that's provided to the consumer that could benefit them. But there will be some costs possibly associated 
with these services. 844-942-7866 if you'd like to join in with your comments or questions. Joined on the phone by Kevin Warbach, uh, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. Pinar Yudurum, who is an Assistant Professor of Marketing here at the Wharton School. Again, 844-942-7866 or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The technology side of it, Kevin, obviously is, is an important piece as well because the levels of technology and access to the internet continue to to change and grow. We're going to be seeing five uh, G in the very near future. Uh, there, you know, the the potential of, of internet via satellite is something that we're going to uh, see at some point down the road as well. So the the technology as as we develop this uh, even further is going to play an important role. Oh yeah, no question. This is all evolving, and and again, it gets back to the question of as the market changes do we need some mechanism to assess the state of the market? It's, it's entirely possible uh, that someday there will be more competition, and uh, we might not need uh, the same kinds of net neutrality policies to ensure that things are consumer-friendly. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't get to that assessment just uh, saying that you know, the FCC is not even going to look at it and not going to have any role. So, yeah, things absolutely change. The, the reality, though, is that providing broadband access across the country is a, a very capital-intensive business, uh, and there you know, are all sorts of reasons, given the way that we've set up the market, uh, not requiring, for example, major unbundling of existing broadband platforms. There, there, there's all the reason to believe that this kind of limited competition that we have is going to be the case for a long time. And, and the reality is, Companies have incentive to try different business models, yeah. um, and as Pinar said, some of them are, are going to be consumer friendly. It's you know net neutrality doesn't say you're absolutely blocked in doing any kind of discrimination. Uh, it's just being able to draw the line as these new services and new practices come along between the ones that are valuable and useful for customers and, and the ones that essentially are extractive uh, and anti-competitive. Pinar. Um, yeah, so I agree. Basically, just expanding the the same lines of speech. So um, I think we can expect that there will be more discrimination, price discrimination that could potentially benefit the consumers too, and that they, they could receive better services on the the websites that they can, uh, they would like to have access to. At the same time, of course, we will see if that means some of the startup companies, some of the potentially high quality, high and interesting, uh, informative content will have the same levels of access as the other larger websites. So that's, I think, the concern here, the smaller guys who may just be starting, whether they will have the same funds as the, as the big guys. How many, how, how many of, uh, you know, realistically, how many of them are, are out there right now trying to break through and, and, and be successful in this sector to begin with, Pinar? Potentially lots. I mean, I, I don't think that this necessarily has to be a small number. I mean, you can think of also individuals who are trying to sell things online. Uh, if they would like to provide, let's say, you know, videos of the products that they have, if the, let's say if you wanted to build an e-commerce platform which heavily relies on video content of the products and that is somehow affected, that might negatively influence you too. So I don't think it's necessarily a small number of companies that are um, that could potentially be affected. In Kev the future, we will see that. Kevin, you see that as well? 
Yeah, I think that's right. The, the other piece of this that, that we've alluded to a couple times is that we have a regime that regulates the access providers, which makes sense for lots of reasons. But by and large, we don't regulate the digital platforms on top, the, the Amazons and Googles and Facebooks and so forth, in the same way. And, and there are places where these issues come together, in particular around privacy practices. And, and I think ultimately, we, we now have an industry that has some very large, very influential players, which, by the way, also have massive amounts of infrastructure. Google and Amazon run huge fiber networks across the country, even though they're not providing telephone service, per se, or, or broadband access service, except for a few uh, exceptions on top of it. Um, and ultimately, we need to have a conversation about what this entire ecosystem looks like. And you know, one of the arguments that gets made against net neutrality is essentially we're doing all the regulation on one set of companies and basically benefiting just the companies on top. Right. And you know, while I think that that's overstated, it makes sense to say we need to move to a point where we're looking at the way the market works today. And the market today does not look like the market in 2000, where we still had dominant companies at the infrastructure access layer and then a bunch of small startups uh, at the, the Internet services layer on top of it. That's, I think, ultimately the kind of political compromise we're going to have to get to on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly, I think a lot of what this jockeying at the FCC right now is about is you know, trying to create incentives for that political compromise and, and how it's going to happen. But long term, I think that's that's where we're going to have to go. In the interim, we're going to see a lot of this back and forth. And, and obviously, as I said, Kevin, with the with the technology piece to this being so important, the, the business side of this obviously is, is driving, it feels like, a lot of the decisions here. And that may or may not be a good thing moving forward. Well, it depends what you mean by the business side, the side this driving things. Companies make decisions that are in their business interest. And yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and there's nothing. There's certainly nothing wrong also with companies trying to uh, be as profitable as they can be and to capture as much market share as they can. The, the, the point of net neutrality is not to say that broadband providers are somehow wrong or unethical or bad just because they're trying to capture market share. Right. Um, the point is, given the configuration of the market where most Americans have a very limited set of choices yep. for wired broadband, uh, and, and now a very limited set which overlaps significantly for wired broadband, uh, mobile broadband as well. Um, in that kind of environment, um, it doesn't make sense to say, well, let's just, just you know, let the market work, because that will be in everyone's best interest. Um, but, you know, of course, we need to be careful about the regulation. I, I think it's, you know, th- there are fair criticisms that, that sometimes – those who advocate regulation uh, you know, want to stop business people from doing what's natural, which is which is in everyone's best interest in the long run. That's how capitalism succeeds. Um, but but I don't think that's really what this debate has been about. I think a lot of the rhetoric around repealing the net neutrality rules suggests that this was some you know a crazy venture by the FCC. Um, attacking the uh, the idea of doing business, right. when in fact these rules were really very measured and they were very economically thoughtful, um, and they're you know, about again creating a forum for the experts to come together and identify you know, what's actually in the best interest of the overall success of the market, consumers and all the different uh, players, business players that are providing services. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Pinar. All the best. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.